Welcome to Focus Life. Focus Life is the official podcast of Focus Youth Ministries of Peru Grace Brethren Church. Here we will seek to learn what it means to live the Christian life in this sinful and rebellious world. I'm Pastor Jordan, and this is Focus Life. Welcome back, everyone. It has been a while since we've been able to have a Focus Life podcast. However, I want you to know that we are going to be having at least, at least, a five-week study on eschatology. As we wind down our study on Ephesians on Thursday nights, I know we are all pumped for our study on the book of Revelation. But as we near that study, we need to spend a few moments discussing why we should study the end times and how understanding the end times, or Bible prophecy, should affect our lives. As we begin our study together, I want to provide a couple of definitions. I will likely use these next few terms interchangeably. The first is the phrase, end times. This can honestly mean any time after Jesus was resurrected, and ascended back to heaven. But in Christianity, we tend to use it for when Christ returns to rapture his church and then set up his millennial reign on earth and all of the events that surround that. The second phrase is Bible prophecy or biblical prophecy. This is pretty self-explanatory, maybe. These are the prophetic events as taught in the scriptures. These events are foretold in the Bible. There have been hundreds that have already been fulfilled, and hundreds still remain to be fulfilled. And so, we study these prophecies as Bible prophecy. Third is the word eschatology. You may see that as the title of this podcast. Eschatology simply means the study of last things. We can break the word down into two parts. It's a compound Greek word. The first is eschatos. This is the Greek word for last or the last. And the second word is ology. That is the Greek word for study of. In recent years, Bible prophecy has become a part of the Bible that is only glanced at. It may be seen as a taboo part of the theology or something that we shouldn't spend too much time on because it is quite difficult to understand. Here's the thing, though. The Bible says otherwise. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep the things which are written in it. Later on in the book of Revelation, we read this from Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 and 7. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his slaves the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he 
who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And so we see here that there is a blessing to the reader and to the one who obeys it. And so how are we supposed to obey it if we don't know what it says? And so we have to read it, we have to study it, we have to understand it if we are going to obey what it says. Accordingly, the Bible says that we can understand prophecy. Revelation chapter 13, verse 18, when it's talking about the mark of the beast, says this, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. And so we see the writer of this prophetic book says that there are those who understand. And so we must seek that understanding. Accordingly, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24 in the Olivet Discourse, where he gives his disciples a um, a rundown of what the end times are going to look like. We'll probably take a gander at that in our time together and talking about eschatology. He says in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15, this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And that that phrase, let the reader understand, is a parenthetical phrase. It means that Matthew, the guy who wrote this book of the Bible, who wrote this account of what Jesus said, is implying that we can understand it. And so we must seek that understanding. Not just these two phrases or and these two concepts are prophetic in nature. It's quite incredible, but a lot of the content of scripture is prophetic. One third of all of the pastoral epistles are prophetic. And so those are um, those are books like first and second Timothy and Titus, and those are written to pastors, and so pastors should be able to understand eschatology. But even more so, one-fourth of all scripture is either fulfilled prophecy or yet-to-be-fulfilled prophecy. And so, to ignore Bible prophecy is to ignore a massive part of God's inspired word. Remember, in one of the pastoral epistles, Paul tells young Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. So to ignore a part of scripture, just because it's hard to understand, we are missing out on a 
treasure trove of truth that God would have for us to help us live and be equipped to live godly lives. It becomes quite obvious then that we are supposed to study all of Scripture and understand even the prophetic bits of Scripture. But why eschatology now? Well, I think primarily because of fear. Over the last two years, we have faced both a pandemic and all of the stresses involved with it, as well as the Russian aggression towards Ukraine and even invading them. While all of this is scary, is there a purpose to it? We'll come back to that. I want to start from somewhere else, though. You see, everyone has an eschatology. I'm not just talking about different branches of Christianity have having different ways of understanding what the end times theology is. What I'm saying is, every human being has an eschatology. We can look at it from a worldly evolutionary perspective. There is the survival of the fittest. As things evolve, something will eventually take place of humans at the top of the food chain. And then we get to the all of the existential crises that they always bring up, like man-made global warming and how everything points to this existential crisis that we need to uh, spend thousands and millions and billions of dollars to avoid. But then there are disasters like comets, asteroids, meteorites, pandemics, and plagues. There are also various religious eschatologies, like the Eastern religions, um, Hinduism and Buddhism. There's nirvana and reincarnation. There's just this, this cycle of, of living, like you, you die, and if you lived a good life in your previous life, you'll come back as a higher being. Or if you were a bad person, you come back as a fly or a frog. And you just hope to be a good fly or a good frog. But then you're in this endless cycle of reincarnation. And, and then somehow, someway, you finally reach nirvana. And then there's Islam, where there's just world domination. And they're waiting for their version of the Messiah called the Mahdi. And then there's political eschatology. Both communism and fascism preach what it, you can call a utopia, and that can only be reached when everyone follows those ideologies. It is striking, though, to notice that each of these eschatologies are limited in scope. Islamic is only world domination, man-made um, existential crises are only for this planet. On an evolutionary perspective, they, ha they only have what they can observe. Both political and fascism, they do not have a way to control eternal life or anything like that. And all of them are um, limited in scope in the fact that they do not deal with the spiritual life. 
but when we come to biblical eschatology, we see much, much more. And so our purpose in studying biblical eschatology will be to receive that blessing that is said in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3, the blessing of hearing and the words of the prophecy and keeping the things which are written in it because the time is near. And so we're going to see biblical eschatology in three distinct ways. The first way is that God is sovereignly moving throughout all of world and universal history for his greater glory and his people's greatest good. Biblical prophecy, in fact, proves that God has not lost control. God is in charge both in a grand cosmic level and controlling these world-dominating events, and then he is in charge in an intensely personal level where he's bringing all things together for our good. Consider Romans chapter 5 verse 6 for a second. For a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice, at the right time. You see that phrase? That means that there was a specific time in which God wanted Jesus to die. Consider Acts chapter 2, verse 23. And we see this in an even more intense way. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 says, This man, this Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of lawless men and put him to dead or to death. So we notice that the crucifixion is was supposed to be at a specific time in history, and God executed that plan perfectly. Jesus also tells us in Matthew chapter 24 that only the Father knows when he's going to return. This is Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, which says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So just like the Father's predetermined plan to send Jesus to die on the cross, God the Father ha knows when Jesus is going to return because he has planned it to take place. Similarly, we read this in Acts chapter 1. Um, Acts chapter 1, this is right after, um, or this is right before Jesus ascends back to heaven. We see, so when they came together, this is Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they came, had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, 
It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has set by his own authority. And then verse 11, we see the angels say to the disciples, even after that, that Jesus had ascended, they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So there is a planned way in which Jesus is going to return. And then, just to enforce the point a little bit, we read in Ephesians chapter 1, I've come to love this passage, um, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions according to the riches of his grace, which he caused to abound to us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in him for an administration of the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, and things on the earth in him. Notice that everything in the universe is going to be summed up in Christ. That is where we are headed. That is where we are going on a cosmic level and God is working everything to that end. He is presently summing up all things in Christ. And then one day Christ is going to return and he is going to set up his kingdom. And we cannot wait for that. So what can we say for this first point on why we study eschatology? God has not lost control. Our God is in control and he is currently working all things towards this end. The second point about studying eschatology is that studying eschatology will give us hope. Studying eschatology will, will give us hope. Matthew chapter 24 like I said, we're going to be in Matthew 24 quite quite a bit. There is um, a lot that Jesus has to say, and especially in the next couple of lessons, when we're looking at the book of Daniel, we're going to see um, that Jesus references this. But we've already read... Um, But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6, And you are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Notice that Jesus is saying, when you see all of that on TV, when you see all of these wars that are that are taking place, or these threats of wars that are taking place. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. This is just pointing to when Jesus returns. And then similarly, he says 
in Matthew chapter 24, verses 32 to 35. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So what is Jesus saying? What Jesus is saying, when you see all of these signs that he talks about, that we shouldn't be afraid, but what we should do is rejoice because he is near. Christ is near and he is returning soon. Another way that studying eschatology gives us hope is what we find in First um, Thessalonians chapter 4. You probably know this passage well. This is where we, we find the rapture. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 13 to 18. And what we're going to see here is that death for the believer in Jesus Christ does not have the final word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Another thing that we find is that we don't need to be afraid or we can be hopeful because our Lord is ruling right now. This is Revelation chapter 5 verses 1 to 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sits on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with the seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Then I was crying greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop crying. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the scroll and its seven seals. So this is talking about a specific time when the revelation starts to take place, when Jesus is coming, um, and it's the time period of the tribulation. And that happens when Jesus is popping the seals off of this 
um, this document, and I'll, I'll save the particulars for our study of it, but what we're going to see is that as Jesus um, opens this scroll, these horrific things take place on earth, but these horrific things are not without purpose. They are completely in the control of God, of our Lord, and so we don't need to weep because Jesus is reigning. Jesus is in control. And then another way that eschatology gives us hope is what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 50 to 57. Now I say this, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the corruptible inherit the incorruptible. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised up, incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must put on the incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this corruptible puts on the incorruptible, and this mortal puts on immortality, then will come about the word that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin in the law is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. All sorrow will be gone. We will be immortal. Death does not have the final rule anymore. There's a third, um, a third thing that studying eschatology will give us. Studying eschatology will should give us boldness. Let me say that again. Studying eschatology should give us boldness. Oftentimes, when we study the end times, we can be overwhelmed by fear. Sadly, all over social media, a strong fear can come over people because they see these things that are just tragic and they're like, the Lord's going to return soon, the Lord's going to return soon. And it's true that it, we should be sad because people are hurting, but our Lord is returning soon and that is a good thing. We will always be with him and we can rejoice that he will make all things right. But knowing that Christ is returning can give us boldness in our present circumstances. It can give us boldness with our witness. It can give us boldness with um, how we live. It can give us boldness as a church. And we see this in several places. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, we, we find the Apostle Paul talking about the, the Antichrist, and he encourages the church talking about the Antichrist, saying, continue on, keep going. It's first or it's Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you 
as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. And so Paul is saying they had been called to this suffering so that they could obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that they do that is through suffering in the trials. And he calls them to boldness. He calls them to stand firm and hold on to the traditions and scriptures that they've been taught. Even in the midst of facing such harsh persecution. There's another place that we find this boldness given to those who were encouraged by eschatology. We've already read it once, uh, but in Acts chapter 1, we find something quite amazing. I'm going to read 10 verses. Um, I'm going to read Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Notice that Jesus talks about the, the end times and the... The apostles were talking about the end times, but then notice what happens immediately after the, um, the, after the scene change, where they where they leave the mountain and then where they go and what they are doing. It, so Acts chapter one, starting with verse four. And gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, "You heard." of from me for john baptized with water but you will be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now so when they had come together they were asking him saying lord is it at this time you're you are restoring the kingdom to israel but he said to them it is not for you to know times or seasons which the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the end of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. And when they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where where they were staying, that is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. These all, with one accord, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and 
Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so the disciples had gone back to Jerusalem and to go forward in obedience to what Jesus told them to do. And it was because of this that the church was born. Immediately following what I just read out of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes and, and baptizes them in the Spirit. The church is born, and then Peter stands up in all boldness and preaches the gospel to the very people that just murdered Jesus. Imagine that, preaching the gospel to the people that murdered Jesus, and then they believed it. And they too were became part of the church, and they too were going out in boldness. And then lastly, the, the last place I'll take you is I'll take you back to 1 Corinthians. Back to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. I had already read about the rapture and being um, made incorruptible and being made immortal immortal bodies that will be ours when we are in heaven. We then see what Paul tells them to do because of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, so because of everything I just said, because of eschatology, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So, studying eschatology will give us boldness, but studying eschatology will also push us out in faithfulness and will help us in our walk with Him. It will help us to live lives of obedience. Okay, that is all I have for um, this podcast, uh, for this particular podcast. I do want to give you an assignment, though. Next week, we're going to start studying a passage of Scripture called The Seventy Weeks of Daniel. We will find this in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. So, I would like you to read Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, to prepare yourself for our first intense exegetical study of eschatology from the Bible. Have a good week.